welcome to TC Talks. This week, we're taking a look at how elementary, middle, and high schoolers each had unique experiences during the pandemic shutdowns, and we'll give you actionable advice on how to move forward. Here are your hosts, David Hill and Liam Powers. I guess off the bat, Dave, you have a 13-year-old daughter. 12, almost 13. Okay. Yes, yes. Uh, okay. You have a three-year-old son, so a little yes. interesting, maybe like socialization, we can talk about that. Yeah. What's been your personal experience so far? It's been a crazy fest, to say the least. It's interesting. I mean, I, I, because I have a middle school daughter, she at least was technologically savvy and was able to understand how online learning works, has more iPads and computers and everything else. But I think what's interesting is just trying to know how to socialize your kids during this time, how we were going to get out and about. When you have a middle school kid, it's challenging because they love being around their friends. So not having as much access to those kind of activities, not being around them all the time. Um, And then you go down to my little guy. That's been really strange because now trying to socialize them as people have kind of come out and done more things. You can see even with three and four year olds, there's a bit of a social anxiety going on. They have a little bit harder time interacting compared to when my daughter was the same age. So I think what's really intriguing is how COVID has affected pretty much every age group, but how you have to pivot and adjust based on where kids were before it hit. And I would say, I mean, Liam, you've seen it too. Elementary school, the kinder, first, second graders, probably the biggest issue, I would say, across the board for the kids that we've had at our centers, because those grades are so hands-on. Most of the time, most elementary schools do clusters. They break up students based on ability levels, but also just to do more group activities. And not being able to do that in a classroom setting, trying to do that on a platform like Zoom, where you have a group of 20 kids trying to all pay attention to the same thing, proved very difficult. We had students at some of our locations who did the guided distance learning in-house. So they would log in for their teachers. And you could see that the the glaze over their eyes within about five to 10 minutes most of the time. So that group heavily more than anyone else has seen a large influx in our centers and kids that should be at grade level two who are even having challenges reading. And we're not even talking about learning disabilities. We're just talking about deficiencies in, in what they've learned educationally over the last two years. Yeah, I'm going to paint a picture here, parents. If you can go back to March 2020, and we thought as quarantines happened, you know, this might be a two or three week thing. The schools were telling you, oh, we'll be back in person in April. And then it became late April and May and June. And for most of you listening, uh, the students did not go back the remainder of that school year. And the online platform that they were trying to roll out was shoddy at best for most of you. I think that would be a compliment. Many of you might pay to it if you had to. Um, and especially that age group who's five, six, seven years old, um, they were certainly impacted in the most extremely obvious way. Um, I, I won't say that they were maybe the most impacted or least impacted. Everybody was to varying degrees uh, and in different ways. And I think I want to cover a little bit of that. But Dave, what did you see with five, six, seven years old uh, for the last year and a half? And um, what are some things parents might be able to do now to try to start to mitigate some of the ill effects of COVID and distance learning and other things? I think the primary thing, especially when you have, I would say, a five-year-old and starting kinder or even going into first grade, is reading is the core fundamental. That is something that has to become, I think, the centerpiece for us parents at home. Uh, Even for myself, trying to get my daughter to read back in the day, now even starting to impart on that, uh, embark on that, I'm sorry, uh, with my son, is 
you have to try to make it active all the time. You can't just sit there and tell your kid to go read a book or go do the stuff independent. They need to see you being engaged in it. They need to see you as a role model that it's something interesting to do. Every single night with both my kids, I've always read different types of stories. I let them pick out the stories. I let them engage and, and try to even read some of the words. I know with my daughter, when she couldn't read many words, when she would see a couple in books that were probably way too challenging for her, she got excited when she could recognize some of those things. These are some of the messages that we typically convey at tutoring club to parents, especially for five, six, and seven, is don't just read the really basic books. They're not that exciting. When your kid starts to be exposed to all the things they're exposed to online, with YouTube, with computers, all these different things, if you read books that have one sentence type of uh, type per page, they don't get that stimulated. So it does not seem as intriguing as them as watching something on television or, or watch, downloading something on YouTube. So that's why I would really encourage, get into more advanced kind of books as soon as possible. And that will start to encourage them to get better at reading. Try to make it fun. Try to make it as encouraging as you can. Use more hands-on activities and try to switch it up. Don't read the same thing over and over again. Try to do different types of stories. Find out what piques their interest and then go to the store, go to the library and find books that are kind of around that particular uh, genre of books or just topics. Um, the other piece, math, highly, highly important in this common core age to have your student know their math facts as soon as possible. It was something that was drilled into most of us parents up until fourth grade where we had time tests 24 seven, all your multiplication tables, addition tables. The math is so complex now in terms of con con concepts, conceptually, all that, that you need to make sure that you know your students know them as quickly as possible. Four plus three, seven plus five, whatever it is, give them an incentive, have a chart. Big thing, five, six, and seven year olds, chart their world, give them bonuses, whether it's stickers, whether the stickers earn them whatever they're really into. Try to make sure that you put emphasis on that and it'll go a long way. Kids love it and the routine of it and being able to earn things. They're human too. They need to have some incentive in the game. Most of them do. We're just scratching the surface when it comes to kinder for a second, and we, we intend to make this a very regular thing. We're gonna be coming back and going much more in depth with each of these age groups. But to move something along, let's talk about how that worked out with distance learning for some of our older kids who were maybe, you know, checked into Zoom for their class, but they just opened a different window. There's no window blocking technology. Well, there is, but the schools primarily didn't enlist it. So many of our maybe fourth grade and up, but especially middle school, maybe even some high school kids, were not paying attention whatsoever to their classes for three months, and then it was interrupted far more beyond that. Um, what did you see with that age group, let's say 10 years old and up? Well, I mean, I saw it firsthand, obviously, at home because my daughter was always logged in to Zoom every day. They, that group, the group that was, like you're, you're mentioning, they're kind of the silent problem that will arise much more significantly, I would say, over the next year or two. The reality is, is that it was we our inquiries, the amount of interest we had from high school and middle school compared to years past subsided with COVID. Whereas the elementary year, the elementary grade students that increased tremendously. And I don't think it's just coincidence. I think that the, a lot of those kids figured out the loopholes with how the school system was run for those 18 months. There was not, they were not held to as many standards in my opinion across the board where they didn't have to complete as much work or did not have the same kind of magnitude of tests that they were used to having to do. And to Liam, your point, 
the issue is, is that they are very strong. They are, they know all of those types of mechanisms better than younger kids. And so they were able to go on, figure out the system, maybe be playing a game while they're saying they're logged in, turn off their computers at times if they wanted to, I'm sorry, not computers, but the cameras on the computers and do like group work, which would really turned into just messing around and doing other types of activities. So my concern for that group is there's this massive lack of learning that went on. And I'm not saying everyone didn't try, but I think it's gonna rear its head. And we're starting to see a little bit of that now that we are here in September of 2021 and students are returning to what we would consider normal type of school where kids that took algebra in eighth grade and now are in 10th grade or took algebra as a ninth grader and are now in 10th grade did not really put in the same kind of work that you normally do because they learned the system and they knew the technology, frankly, better than some of even their teachers who were never trained formally on using that kind of technology to teach children. And this is something just to be aware, don't be surprised when you start seeing your student that's in middle school or high school who used to be great students where some of those grades start to subside. It's not any complete fault of theirs. It's a complete fault of this whole situation that occurred. COVID notwithstanding, let's talk about what we see with middle schoolers typically. Um, And one thing that's a really unique view that Dave, myself, um, every director, every person who has a role in our organization get to see is that we work with students of all ages, those before kindergarten, uh, usually four, four and a half years old at a minimum, all the way up to 18, uh, applying to colleges, uh, making sure they get those acceptance letters, making decisions. So we see the gamut. You know, a lot of times people don't consider teachers tend to teach primarily a particular grade or a particular level of school throughout their career. So they're usually not seeing you know, students in second grade, eighth grade, 11th grade. That is very rare for an educator to see. Um, so you know, they each year get their fresh batch of kids and then their new batch of kids comes in after that group goes off to the next level. So what we get to see is where some of these gaps exist, where some of these difficulties inherently Uh, tend to pop up, whereas some of the individuals who are in the classroom aren't seeing that as consistently. So COVID, irrespective, not included in this conversation, we see a big jump, whether middle school happens in sixth grade or seventh grade for your student, for those students going from elementary to middle school, it's just going to be compounded now with everything that's gone on the last 18, 19 months. But what is it that you see with middle schoolers that makes them so unique in our eyes? Oh, that's like the core of everything. Like you said, I, I think what stands out the most is they lose the connection with the one teacher. And that tends to be across the board for most students. They do the transition to where some have what some schools call core class, where that will still be your language arts and social studies component. But aside from that, you start to rotate throughout the day. It is essentially like high school where you have teachers for every single class. And when you're an 11 or 12 year old student trying to make that transition after having the same teacher all day long when you're a fifth or a sixth grader is very challenging. That compounded with the grading changes. And what I mean by that is all of a sudden you get a math teacher who is very much focused on test scores, quiz scores, and less emphasis on homework and classwork. And that student that was really trying hard in third and fourth grade and put in some great effort they're getting 60 or 50% on their math tests. And all of a sudden as a parent, you're seeing a C or a D grade come in. Other big thing, and again, this is generalities because every school district's a little different, 
but the grading system is a lot more formalized when kids make that transition to middle school, partly because the teachers don't have the benefit of having just 30 or 35 students to oversee. They are dealing with 180, sometimes 200 kids, so they have to keep track of everything a lot more formalized. So as parents, you start to receive a daily text message a lot of times, get a daily email that's current, constantly updating you on their grades, how they're performing in the class, and that creates a lot of anxiety for parents and frankly students too. So it's like this perfect storm, I guess, of all things coming together. And to say it truthfully, the elementary schools coddle kids a lot. And it is just one of the things, and I don't put it on the teachers, I put it on the system. Teachers are trying their best to kind of get kids through, but I have gone to countless middle school meetings with both IEPs and parent-teacher conferences, and the common theme is the kids were not prepared from elementary to handle the middle school curriculum. And it is just, and, and that frankly continues even in the high school, but it's more pronounced, I would say, from that elementary to middle school jump because of the maturity situation, because of that huge transition of style. So yeah, it's, it's the bread and butter of our business, truthfully. Um, and it's even coined the forgotten middle. Forgotten middle is a big thing out in the education world. And a lot of you know about that. It's a tough age to deal with kids. I love my daughter dearly, but it's a tough age. And we all have been there ourselves. And we kind of look back at those seventh, eighth grade years and it's a tough time of adolescence. So all of that compounded into one thing makes it for a very crazy time. And to our benefit, we, ha we hired tutors and teachers here that really know how to engage and interact with that age group. And I think the socialization aspect, socializing your kids in an educational environment is absolutely critical. And it's something that we completely do not look at. We know that so many of our kids play sports, organized sports, it's such a huge thing of, of America. We love kids being in organized sports. And some of us then also do private instruction to kind of work on pitching, let's say, or work on, you know, hitting skills and things like goalkeeping. Yeah. But realistically, what we forget is the kids love those sports because they're around their peers. And that's what tutoring club does is we have an environment that allows kids to be around their other peers. And this makes them not feel so isolated. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that we have, not even, even in the school system, when they pull kids out and isolate them and take them away from their peer group, that does harm. And that's why we firmly believe in having a place. It's a social club too, to have them here and feel good about, I'm learning and so is that kid over there. It goes a long, long way for, for parents, for kids, for my daughter loves going to TC because she's around, not because she sees dad, but because she gets to go see other kids her age and talk about things. There's so much you touched on that I would love to take so much further, but I'll save your voice for this episode. Um, and again, all of that was not considering the impact that COVID has had. Um, so take everything and it just compounds all of the difficulties and obstacles that Dave just reviewed with our middle schoolers. And I know the answer to this question, but just in case some of the listeners don't, can you just touch on the idea of one what class typically starts to rear its head in middle school as being the one that needs maybe a bit more attention in terms of parents realizing that their grades are not as stellar as they used to be? Uh, and two, can you talk about completion grades versus actually if students were doing their homework correctly and why that starts to show its head in that particular class? Absolutely. So I, I would say primarily when we get our calls and people reach out to us in middle school, math is normally the first that goes. 
Uh, and the reason I say that is because it's the first one that shows up as a grade C or lower, sometimes even a B for students that have been constantly straight A students. Reason why is normally the grading system. And so I highly encourage all of you who have kids who have these grade portals, go in and look at how the grades are broken down, how much percentage goes to test. A lot of times it's upwards of 60 to 70%, high school becomes 90%. So these are things that change significantly when you make that middle school jump. So math is the harder one to fake. Like I use that phrase a lot, to fake it. What I mean by that is a math test is a math test. You either understand the, the curriculum or you don't. And so that's something that normally goes quickly because kids can't fake it. Now, when you have a language arts class, social studies, science, you have more projects. There's more assignments as a group. There's more things to pad your grade. So it tends to take a little longer for those to show up as being a lack of knowledge. You can kind of coast by a lot of times as long as you turn everything in, as Liam said, and just complete the work. A lot of schools and, and students will pass through with not really understanding much, but still be able to get a B in the class by just turning everything in. And more often than not, when we get a student to come in the first time, they do our assessment, we go over everything with them, we start to, to go through the portal with our students and we notice quickly that yes, math might be the lowest overall grade because of the weighting system, but when you look at what they're scoring on science assessments, uh, history tests, things like that, you start to see a pattern. And it's not just math, it's a study issue. It's not having been shown how to really deal with school on a larger scale on, at the higher academic level. And that's something that we try to tout to our middle schoolers. We don't tell them all the time, but frankly, the middle school grades are not going to necessarily reflect their future college admissions. But if they don't get into the right classes, if they don't score the right scores when they're younger and take the more high level honors classes and what have you when they get to high school, then we've got an issue because all of a sudden they can't go to the top universities. So it's really, really important that we kind of look at how students are approaching school and not just becoming completion robots. It's a big problem. They turn in their homework, they were shown that for six years in elementary school, and now it's like, wait a minute, that's how I thought I got good grades. And it's far, far more than that. I'm gonna flip the roles here. What would you like to ask about high school? Uh, what do you think parents of high schoolers should be curious about right now after everything that's gone on so far and is still going on. Yeah, well, I'll ask you this. I, I think, where do you foresee things going with college admissions? Uh, this is a big hot topic. Parents are a bit confused and things going on with the standardized testing. So where do you see we're, we're going to be for this group, this senior year right now, and then the next two coming down the pipeline? Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> How long do you have? Uh, let's try to simplify things. Uh, number one, if, if we are to just talk about college admissions in general, a lot of the university systems will primarily be concerned with, they're concerned with all of high school, but they will really pay particular attention to your sophomore and junior years. For this group who's applying to university right now in the fall of 2021, uh, many university systems have gone test optional, if not all. Some university systems, the largest public school system in the world, the University of California, has gone test blind. If your student has taken an SAT, these are the tests we're talking about, or ACT, the University of California and several others will not even consider that. So I'm sorry if you received a 1600 and you were able to take the SAT in spite of the fact that there were constant cancellations. Um, I know some families who were desperate enough to try to record a score for last application cycle who reside in California, who then scheduled to take the test in Arizona 
and flew their kids out to the state right when it came down to the wire in October, November. They were successful, but that is just the degree to which people go to get their kids into schools is admirable, but that was over the top. So this particular application cycle, if we're removing or at least not applying as much weight to because a lot of kids were not able to adequately prepare or take the SAT or ACT, if we're removing that element from the admissions process, we're going to be left with a couple of things. Uh, primarily, I'll tell you three very important things when it comes to college admissions. The rigor or difficulty of classes that your student took, how much did they challenge themselves, that's usually the most important or if not the second most important criteria uh, that, or piece of criterion uh, that a lot of the university admissions counselors will look at. Secondly, uh, how did you perform in those classes? So you can take the hardest course load in the world, but if you're failing all of your classes, you're not going to go very far here. And there's a unique balance between overwhelming your student with five AP courses and then getting B's and C's versus maybe having them take two or three and it not overwhelm them to the point that they are getting those B's and C's. They're mostly A's and B's. Uh, that's something we'll talk about on future episodes. Uh, lastly, SAT or ACT used to be a, a very significant portion of what admissions counselors uh, would take a look at. Now, if that's removed, your essays become more important. So as your student is filling out their applications, you will see, depending on the school system, they may have two, three, four, eight, if you're applying to Stanford, admissions essays to write. And essays is kind of a funny term because a lot of these quote unquote essays are long paragraphs. The University of California system, I'll go there again. They require that you write four different quote unquote essays, but they're a maximum of 350 words. I was just speaking with a student an hour ago who was excited at first that it was only basically a long paragraph he would have to write for several of these uh, for the University of California. But then he started to freak out a little bit because to fit all of this importance in the span of a paragraph to a paragraph and a half is a lot of pressure to put on these kids. Uh, and again, because we're removing SATs, ACTs from the equation here, it's what's your GPA? How hard were your classes? And how compelling of a brand image do you build around yourself when responding to these different prompts? And yes, it is true. Most university systems are still going to ask you the really basic stuff that is prototypical or stereotypical of college admissions. And many of you parents probably know. Tell us about a hard time in your life and the steps that you took to overcome that. Uh, tell us about an educational opportunity that you took advantage of. Tell us an example of your leadership experience. Uh, tell us how you're involved. How do you like to spend your time in making your community a better place? Legit, those are four of the UC application questions, and I use them as the standard because across the country, and frankly across the world, a lot of the other school systems will follow, or I guess, yeah, follow the leader in the sense of what are the University of California system, what did they do? And now what are we going to do here in, I was going to say Texas, that's a bad example. They like to do a lot of things differently than California and vice versa, uh, but most of the other systems out there. That was a really long-winded response, but let's recap real quick. Rigor or difficulty of classes, success or not success in those classes, GPA, it's a big thing. Uh, and then lastly, now your essays take third position and perhaps maybe even more important than third position. This is splitting hairs. Some systems might value these essays more than just about anything else. Some schools have letters of recommendation. Those might carry a little bit of weight, but it's basically now everything else becomes more important equally across the board uh, now that the SATs and ACTs are either less important or just don't play a role. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be very interesting for parents to navigate over the next couple of years. 
Question, just another interesting group, and we talked about middle school pretty heavily. Last thing on the high school, 10th graders. What's your take on them? Because it's interesting. They have not had a regular year of high school, but they're thrust into what we've seen as pretty hard year of high school. Mm-hmm. How do you think they are going to handle the transition now out, out of COVID? I don't mean to be a pessimist, but I don't think it's going to be handled well, uh, I mean, if I can just be honest here, um, obviously there, I think there are, is corrective action that needs to be taken place, uh, in the home, um, with tutors, with anybody that you, that has an influence on these students. This is where a lot of effort's going to need to take place to overcome the obstacles they've dealt with. Um, by the way, uh, writing about COVID is your obstacle. Um, just generally, unless you've had a particular tragedy affect your family, probably isn't going to make you that special on these essays. Just going back to the seniors real quick, because, oh, I don't know, everybody dealt with it. Granted, varying degrees of that. So, of course, that could be an option for your student. Going back to sophomores, let's go back to March of 2020. They were eighth graders. A lot of them were taking algebra. A lot of them were uh, obviously had an interrupted school year, and then they go back in ninth grade, their first true high school experience, and it was either hybrid, some of us, it was 100% online for the majority of the year, um, or something in between. But long story short, there was a little bit of leeway that was given in terms of the grading curve and the difficulty um, that maybe normally is in place. Teachers were a bit more understanding. How could I grade you if you missed three months or two and a half months of really important math prerequisites that go into this particular class, um, how can I expect you to perform significantly well after essentially six months of combined summer and then not real school distance learning, softening of everything, pass fail, great optional classes? How can I hold you? How, how can I hold your feet to the fire here? So that was an interrupted experience. Uh, Some of the prerequisite knowledge that usually is important to students carrying into their class, teachers had to give discretion and say that that wasn't in existence, so I can't hold you to that standard. So now, 10th grade, granted, COVID is still going on, but at this point, 18, 19 months in, uh, the school systems that we've seen so far go back to school, most of which have been back for a month, they're starting to grade for real again. They have these expectations of students again. Oh, and by the way, sophomores, they're the most like curious example of high school because freshman year, it's important for your college admissions. It's important for everything. But sophomore year is like the first real, real, real important year, if that makes sense. Um, A lot of schools will look at your 10th through 12th GPA when considering you for admission. By the way, you apply to school usually before your 12th grade year has a fall semester completed. So it's like 10th and 11th grade. In the example I was talking about the kids taking Algebra 1, which is very common for 8th graders, very common for students who are pretty advanced as well. Uh, Freshman year, most districts, if you took Algebra 1 as a middle schooler, you're probably going to take Geometry or some version of that, even if it's quote-unquote called Integrated Math, Math 1, Math 2, Math 3, Math 4. And then sophomore year, now we arrive back at Algebra. Algebra 2 plays a significant role in your math in your sophomore year if you are college-bound. So you have this kid who, in March of 2020, stopped learning Algebra 1 effectively. Then you gave them a year off because they were learning something entirely new and the most unique math in terms of geometry. And now you're expecting them to perform significantly well in a really important year in an Algebra 2 or an Algebra 2 trigonometry class? Get out of here. (laughs) Yeah, so that that is primarily why I am concerned. And it's not just math. It, it, It is everything. But I would say specifically your math and your science courses, because science, 
Uh, freshman year science, most kids are taking biology. Uh, primarily has to do with the human body. Also, obviously, with animal bodies, other things like that. Organisms, cells. The, the biology you remember from high school. You know, they're still, or at least they were, uh, doing different labs on frogs and all types of things. Uh, granted, last year that might have been interrupted too. And then you dive into something called chemistry when you're a sophomore. So these kids are getting double hit with the difficulty of probably Algebra 2 or an Algebra 2 based math class when they had Algebra 1 interrupted. And then they're diving into chemistry, which is the first more math based science that they're going to see. Uh, and it is extremely difficult, especially if your student was really ambitious and decided to take AP or IB or honors level chemistry, which a lot who want to go to great four-year universities have done. Last thing on sophomores, because again, we talked about the math, we talked about the science, uh, their core classes, so to speak, their history, their English, maybe they challenge themselves with AP. In my English class, I actually have to write in-class essays in honors level or AP English. Uh, that is terrifying for a lot of students, and that's a curve they're getting adjusted to. And lastly, foreign language. Most students who want to go to a great four-year university have to take at least three years of a foreign language. And let's face it, French one, Spanish one, it's really a lot of vocab. You know, do you know the months of the year? Do you know the days of the week? Do you know the colors? Can you refer to objects that exist in a kitchen or a car or whatever, um, or, or a pencil? Like <laughs> these kind of things are very commonplace in the foreign languages taught in schools. And can you learn a little bit of grammar? And then year two, it's like, here you go. It's all grammar. Make sure you're referring to this in the proper tense. And there's 15 different tenses that you can discuss. <laughs> and like, it's outrageous. So if you're a kid taking chemistry and algebra two or algebra two trigonometry and Spanish two or French two, good luck. That is hard enough in a normal way that the school system functions, let alone the last 18 months. Um, and that's not to be so doom and gloom, but um, yeah, it's reality. Yeah, I mean, I can speak to that personally. Our neighbor, he's 10th grader in Algebra 2 Trig. Algebra 2 Trig, by the way, everybody, is probably the most challenging math class you're going to ever take in your life because they cram about a year and a half into one year. And so, yes, you can have your exceptional math students that handle it fine, but it's a challenge. And when, like Liam said, when you're taking an eighth grade math class for Algebra 1 and all of a sudden you're now thrust and you missed the last three months and now going into an accelerated course, it's, it's been a handful, like we've had a handful of students already, and this is only September. We haven't even had like a main grading period hit yet. So it's crazy, sir. I, this is going to be a, a, a big, big year for a lot of kids, a lot of parents. We're here to kind of be guides because as Liam said earlier, we have a very interesting perspective. I've done this for 17 years. I've sat in with thousands of students and parents, all different ages. It's like having parent-teacher conferences that go an hour and a half. So both of us have done this and seen so many things across the country even. I've spent time in a lot of different states. But at the same, the core that's always been the same no matter where I am is that we love our kids, we love our parents, we wanna see them succeed, and we have a passion for this. And we have, we have a voice to, to be able to be a buffer for a lot of you and give you some guidance with that. So we always, hang out, talk about this amongst ourselves, but we wanted to kind of share some of our perspectives and, and be here as a, an outlet for everybody. Absolutely. And uh, as much as I would love to, yeah, have this show or whatever this turns into be a plug for our business, that's not the intent. And granted, a lot of you listeners are probably going to be our existing clients and uh, students, but at the same time, um, if you are not, uh, do something. That's the most important thing I can say. 
do something this year and be proactive. The second you start to see something slip, that's when you need to jump on it. In fact, before you even start to see something slip, just hopefully listening to what we've just outlined for you, I hope it motivates you to get help, whether it's tutoring club or something else, and make sure that something else is really good because we are pretty quality. Um, do something, please. Uh, it's, it's probably the most important time in your student's education. Uh, we saw a huge influx, like Dave mentioned earlier, of kinder, first, second grade students, because they were the ones, like there's a lot of second and third grade teachers who are inheriting kids who don't know how to pronounce like a three letter word. And that's not been very commonplace for them, only in really rare, um, unfortunately, pretty far gone situations. So for the youngsters, it's key. Uh, almost all of them, unless you did the most exquisite job at home, which I really hope you did, and perhaps some of you did, they're gonna need a little bit of inter intervention. Um, for the high schoolers, I think I just made the case that they're gonna need some intervention. And the middle schoolers are, again, that forgotten middle. Um, and a lot of times, some students can still kind of get by by being task completers, by you know having good citizenship in class. Um, but again, in math and in some of the other classes in middle school, you'll start to see the testing take a hold. So do us a favor, log into your students' Aries or Canvas or Blackboard or whatever, School Loop or online grade portal, whatever it is, and just take a look around. Specifically, look at the weighting of the classes. See in each particular class how the teacher has de designated or made up your student's total grade. Is it 30% tests and 40% in-person projects, which we all know generally you'll get a B or an A on for the most part unless you completely mail it in, um, or is it 80% tests? There's no hiding from that. So even though you may start to see it in a test where 80% of the total grade is made up by examinations, notice that the same things in terms of maybe never being shown how to truly study or not know how to study effectively, many of those things will start to rear their head in these other classes, even if testing's not as valuable. And so you might be like, oh, this is the one class that's difficult for my student. No, they're all difficult in terms of testing. It's just not hurting them or catching them enough in the other classes. So pay attention, I guess is the biggest thing as much as you can. It's been a really trying last 18, 19 months for everybody, of course, to different degrees as well. But right now, if you can zone back in and really put forth the biggest effort that you can uh, for your student, I think it'll pay dividends. So uh, we'll leave it at that for this particular inaugural discussion. But uh, I, I would say that we want to make this a regular thing. We want to make this something where we can provide you actionable advice. Um, again, regardless of whether you're a client of Tutoring Club or not, any parting words for the folks? Good luck with the school year and just kind of ease back into it. Be there as a, a rock for your kids and understand it's going to be a bit bumpy for a while, but I think it's going to get to a good place and they're going to get back into normal swing of things. Awesome. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you all.